welcome to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick. And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship. Hi, listeners, and welcome to the Define the Relationship podcast. And today we are in episode seven. Chapter six. Chapter six of Pete Enns' book, How the Bible Actually Works, entitled, What is God Like? But I thought before we get into the book, we are the Define the Relationship podcast. And maybe you want to be- talk about our relationship? Well, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> But I thought maybe we could take a little bit of like a red dot moment or um, just where do you where do you think we're at in this conversation about defining our relationship with the Bible? Red dot is that little marker that we see on maps or maybe on on Google Maps that that pin that shows where we are. Where do you think we are right now, Darlene? I feel like we are. Um, we're starting to get into more of the, like below the surface, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, I, uh, in some ways I, I feel a little bit like the relationship has been like, we're getting to know each other, you know, kind of like just at that, um, more, surface conversation not that there hasn't been meat up until now Mm. um but feels a little bit like um we're starting to kind of get a little deeper Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like this relationship has been going at a very you know methodical but a slow pace Mm -hmm. we're not moving too fast yeah and um pete ends is making sure that we're along we're along with him that he's not moving so fast that we get left behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe at times we feel like, okay, I think we, I think we understand. We get that. Um, now maybe it's time for the relationship to move a little bit further. To get hot and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be one way to describe it. Sorry. Just, uh... <laughs> So let's uh, let's get into the chapter then. After that, let's um, we'll you'll have to decide if it's getting hot and heavy or not. Um, so this chapter begins with I'd say um, reflective um, reflective Pete thinking about the universe and. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think Pete isn't so sure that when when we read in Psalm 19, David says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Uh, Pete isn't so sure this is as clear as he ruminates on the universe, the 13.8 billion year old universe. And um, you can see how Pete is a bit of a deep thinker and he doesn't just take statements at face value he kind of gets into a bit of a black hole there about, um, yeah, the vastness of the universe and stuff. Um, <laughs> Can I just say, I just yeah. love, I love his uh, sarcasm and 
<laughs> the way that he is self-deprecating and <laughs> yeah, uh, <clears throat> he is he's basically describing how David's world and our world are so different. Our understandings mm-hmm. of what the universe entailed are so radically different. And, um, you know, uh, just for people that haven't been reading along with us, you know, he's talking about how, so yeah, David's world is, you know, consisted of a, a flat earth with, you know, the sun above and, um, the earth was a, couple of thousand years old which probably felt really long to him and um he gives some details about how you know the universe that we're living in is 13.8 billion years old and he describes that if we compress that into a single calendar year with the you know the big bang at the stroke of midnight on January 1st, that our galaxy would have been formed on March 16th, solar system on September 2nd, first multicellular life on December 5th. And he just kind of goes through, you know, talking about the vastness of our universe, how we understand our universe now and, um, and how that impacts how, you know, that impacts everything. It impacts how we, how we view ourselves, how we view God, how, how, um, I just wanted to add with a view that God is somehow up there looking down on us. You know, this is a flat earth. The sky is above. God is above. This is, this is, the ancient mindset and our mindset, you know, is vastly different. And so when David is writing that Psalm in one nineteen, that that's the, the universe he's thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, w- I was just, just re- kind of it's, what it makes me think about is, um, this is a bit of my pet peeve with how some people approach the Bible is they want to kind of, um, what's the word? Sort of flatten our understanding that we have today, that we've come to about the universe, and sort of, you know, make the Bible f- like, like make our universe that we understand today fit through the Bible. Right. Like it has to somehow fit through it. And um, I think we're going to get at, and we have been getting at that. This is kind of misunderstanding um, what we have in the Bible and how the Bible tells us about God, and um, we can't just sort of harmonize where we are today with what we hear or see in the Bible. So we can't, we can't set our own humanity aside when we approach the Bible, just like David didn't set his humanity aside. Right. That's, we're not able to do that, and we shouldn't do yeah. that, in fact. He was working with what he knew about his own time his own experiences, his own understanding of the cosmos, and we cannot relate to God today using his grid. Exactly. Just will not work. Yeah. So um, 
But, I mean, as Pete says, he this is to quote Pete in the second part of the chapter, the Bible is, if anything, a book the purpose of which is to tell us what God is like. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty pretty clear statement that the Bible is a book about God. And then he asks this question, which I'm going to going to pose to you, Darlene, and if you can help us understand where, what, what ENDS thinks about that, or maybe what you're learning about that. How do we square the attentive, supportive, available, personal God of the Bible? Um, for an example, the Bible that refers to God as a potter fashioning clay, um, very personal image, with, how do we square that view in the Bible with the the large, impersonal, cold, frightening universe that we live in, much more vast, less, less, less intimate. So there's this personal versus the cosmic. So, um, and um, just to, to go even a little bit further, to put it in more of a negative light, um, and says that God also seems uncomfortably touchy, <laughs> um, kind of sensitive. And he says, you see this right away in the sixth chapter of the Bible, the story of Noah, where, um, you know, I think we all have a, a sense of the story of Noah, that God is so fed up with the creation that he created that he wants to start over. He wants to wipe out everybody, and he he calls Noah and his family to be the ones that are going to be rescued from this and they're going to start all over. And um, even if this story isn't as didn't happen as it is told, and most people don't think it happened as it is told because it it mimics other ancient stories of floods and most likely was a very regional thing, if anything, that happened. Uh, it still portrays God as being quite brutal um, heavy-handed. And this is just one incident. I mean, we could probably come up with a dozen other incidents quite quickly. And why does that matter? Well, many of us have had a hard time with this God of the Bible. What do we do about this? You asked a lot in that. You asked probably several questions in there. (laughs) Um, But I think... So let me start by saying it's a wisdom question. When you say, how do we square? Um, I don't know if that's, I'm not sure that's the right question because I don't, I'm not sure that we need to square. How do we square something? Maybe underneath that you're saying, how do we reconcile or Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we put it together? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, that question is, is the question that that Pete actually asked? I think I I lifted that question from the chapter. But that being said, well, what do you like? Yeah, I don't. I, what what so, do you think is a better question? I mean, my my rea- my reaction to it, my negative reaction to the question is just that um, it feels like we've maybe spent too much time trying to make everything fit, hmm. and um, it's. It your question also presupposes that that the vastness and the personal are at odds with each other, and um, and I'm not sure I'm not sure that is uh, uh, the word that I would 
insert instead of personal is intimate. Okay. So, um, I think the the overall the overarching invitation in the Bible is um, is to enter a love story. I mean, man, maybe that's a schmaltzy way of putting it, but it is a um, in the deepest, most profound sense of the word love that God's, um, God's love for the universe, um, God's love for creation and God wooing us essentially as humanity into, into this relationship, um, into this connection. So it's, it's very personal, it's very intimate and it's, it's absolutely um, mind-blowingly impossible to comprehend. So we have we have both, and we don't need to to square them. Um, but but they're <laughs> yeah, yes. it is. It's... So I want to I want to push that question a bit though, okay. because um, okay, you 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 describe the bible as being a love story and so i'm going to come from a you know a bit more of a critical take on that and say it's kind of a messed up love story when um you have all these cases of god being aggrieved by god's people and uh you know punishing demolishing annihilating um, you know, genocide, like the story of no, all these things. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's not your, if it's a love story, it's not a schmaltzy romantic comedy love story. It's, there's some pretty um, disturbing incidents that are being attributed to God. And at the very least attributed to God, if not, God is causing these things to happen. And um, this is a real, this is kind of one of the places where people really come up against a a brick wall with the Bible is that, um, you know, you describe God as being the main lover in a love story. And yet there's all this mayhem and gore and um, stuff that just seems really, it's ancient, but it's like it's like we want to move as far away from that kind of perspective as possible. Right. What am I missing? No, I don't think you're missing anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why. I mean, that's why it's a difficult task to reimagine um, for our time and what we know. Um what's actually going on what are we what are we what's being revealed about what god is like and i think we already know that um you know to read it like a flat book and take every word literally is um not doing justice to it and yet on the other hand there are some words to be taken literally there's so we you know, there's a journey here to 
to understanding and to wisdom. So, but it's all done, um, you know, all the disturbing things. I, I can't read those disturbing passages through anything but the lens of Christ through anything but the lens of, um, of Jesus. So that's why it's, it's really important, I think, not to, um, to just kind of read it through an ancient lens. I have to read it through, oh, I have to read it through an ancient lens, Mm -hmm. but I also have to read it through, um, the lens of, who I am today and who we are as a community in a world today. I, I don't know. I, I'm not. So, so just to keep pushing on this, I'm going to keep pushing on it. Um, so is the, like, so we've been talking a lot about wisdom. Wisdom in its simplest form is to discern what is true and good and right and to act upon it. That's what wisdom is about. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, these contradictory perspectives that we're getting from the Bible, you, like you're saying, we, you know, we need to use the lens of Jesus. We need to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, who hasn't, you know, in some of the stories we're talking about, hasn't come on the scene yet. Um, but like, what's going on in the Bible? Are like, are the people who are writing the stories about how they perceive God to be, are they getting it wrong? Are they, are they, are they misunderstanding? Are they just kind of taking their own uh, motivations and wants and needs and sort of putting them onto God and saying like, well, God's kind of like, like me. And you know, when somebody annoys me, I get aggrieved and I retaliate and I respond and I react. So is that what's going on? Or, is there something more, more nuanced happening with the people as they describe their relationship to God and who God is? Well, I'm curious about what you're thinking too. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I think we have to, yes, I, we are dealing with the limitations and the humanity of, of people that contributed to the texts that we have in front of us. And that does not d- diminish, it doesn't take away from the, um, the divinity of the text either. Okay. So I'm, I, I'm just like, I, I'm sorry I'm pushing so much on this, but I'm thinking you, that... You look like you're having fun. I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm having fun in a sorry sort of way, or I'm sorry in a very fun way. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking about like, uh, I'm thinking about the third part of the chapter where he gets into the wisdom question for all of us. So he's getting into how the wisdom pursuit fits into this interaction with a God who is described in the Bible in a way that may not fit our experience very well. And um, I don't know if he, he puts it in this way, but I feel like we're being presented with some options when it comes to the Bible. And one option is, you know, if we're having a hard time with squaring the God of the Bible with our own experience, 
One option, and, and this could be a wisdom option, is to ignore it, to just ignore it. Like, um, sometimes, like, going back to, like, one of the early chapters where um, Enz is talking about, like, should we answer fools or should we not answer fools, that kind of question. I find that sometimes on Facebook, social media, in interacting with people who I'm friends with, um, there comes a time where I just decide, you know, the wise thing for me to do is to mute that person on my on my Facebook timeline. I don't want to see any of the content that they share because invariably the content they share, it just makes me angry. It annoys me. I just It just gets me riled up. And so the wise thing for me to do is not to try to engage, you know, what's going on with this person and how is it affecting what they're sharing. I just don't want to see that anymore. Right. And so I ignore it. That's, that's a wise thing. The other option, which I believe ends is inviting us into when it comes to the scriptures is to embrace, embrace these questions, embrace the discrepancies, embrace the tensions. The sacred responsibility is to ask what is God like in the context of a scripture that talks about who God is like in certain ways, and then for us to think about, well, who is God like to us in our time? <clears throat> so so I'm just going to quote him and then um, have you interact with this quote. The God I read about in the Bible is not what God is like in some timeless abstraction, and that's that. But how God... So <laughs> some of these sentences are a bit bit awkward. So the God I read about in the Bible is not what God is like in some timeless abstraction, and that's that. But how God was imagined by the people at the time that were imagining who God is, and then reimagined by ancient people of faith living in real times and places. And talk about this. The God that we see in the Bible is the God that is imagined and reimagined by the people of faith living in those times in those places. Yeah. You want to say something about that part, about the imagination part? Um, I, I'll say something about that, but I also just want to address the ignoring or the embracing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I d- resonate with, um, with, kind of those options. And I think, um, I think that sometimes we really, we really do need to give ourselves permission to ignore it for a while too. Hmm. Um, when you have spent your life, like a lot of people perhaps listening have spent their life kind of understanding the Bible one way and um, having been damaged by the reading of the Bible in that, in that way that I think it feels almost impossible to read it in a new way. And sometimes we just need to put it away for a bit and Um, maybe that feels scary too, and maybe that feels wrong to say, but, um, the reimagining is, 
is so important. And I feel like I, I, I kind of flip flop too, because I come to these passages, like having read them one way and then it's like, it's been so ingrained in me to read it this way that I don't know how, I don't know what to do with it. And I, I don't know how to engage it and to reimagine it without having to do so much work and study and you can't do that every time. So how do you, you know, how do you do that? Hmm. But, um, I don't know if I'm answering your, Mm -hmm. your specific question, but it, I think, I think what ends is emphasizing is that, um, that the people, um, who, who wrote the, the, the words of the Bible, they too were human beings Mm. living in a particular place and they were imagining, and that doesn't mean they were making up. I think ends Mm -hmm. is kind of like clarifying. He's like, I'm not talking about imagination in terms of like people are just making, making stuff up. He's saying they, they, they were experiencing, uh, you know, real God, but from their, from their, their limited understandings Mm -hmm. and writing from, from that. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's a, it's a blending of human and divine. Mm. It's not like it was just, you know, well, God just took, you know, breathed completely God's words into these people. It's a, it's a human thing. And it's, and, and so they were imagining and reimagining because they were interacting also with their ancient texts. Mm -hmm. And that's important to know because they're always interacting with their, with, um, with their, um, perspectives, their ancient Jewish perspectives and the law that they had been given Mm -hmm. and reimagining it and engaging with it and struggling with it and changing with it. Mm -hmm. And so that task remains our task as, as it always has. The, the Bible is actually giving us that model Mm -hmm. because they're doing exactly what they, what we are also doing. Mm-hmm. So that connects us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it should also, I mean, this, he has a heading, says we're stuck being human. Yeah. And so just like the people who we are reading about 3,000 years before us who are also stuck being human, and that gives us the permission to ask the hard questions about those texts and, and look for as much information and understanding about what was going on at that time. And at times we might feel a bit like, what were they thinking? How did, why did they see it that way? That's just, that's just not a, a just way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we can be critical from our human perspective from today but it also puts us, we have to acknowledge that we have to have some humility about our own human imaginings and perspectives and how we're viewing God today. And um, the wisdom journey that we're on means that, well, 
we're going to get things wrong too, or we're, we're going to miss things. We're going to have blind spots. We're going to be, um, shaped by the time that we live in. And, mm-hmm. and, and, um, you and know, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I, I, I think it's really important for me. It's becoming more important for me to not cut off things that, that don't make sense to me. And so I, when I hear people say too, you know, well, let's just scrap the Old Testament and just like stick to the New Testament. I, you know, I have a lot of trouble with the Old Testament too. It's confusing. But I think the last thing that I want to do is to cut off um, the Old Testament because pretty much everything that Jesus is saying is hinging on on his um on his tradition on his the ancient story that he is coming from he is reimagining also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so we don't just cut off we like we reimagine mm-hmm. and that feels uh important to me in a new way yeah it's almost as if we when we when we ignore something we are cutting off the energy and the dynamic of a of a of a movement that's happening over a long period of time mm-hmm. but when we engage it we are coming a part of that movement and we're allowing things to progress or to to develop or to evolve as we do that and um we miss it if we just sort of um ignore it completely. Although I, 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 I agree with your perspective that sometimes there's something wise. There's a, there's a, it's a wise move to, to remove ourselves from certain interactions and remove ourselves from certain relationships. And in this case, sometimes maybe it is a healthy thing for us to remove ourselves from relating to the Bible for a period of time. But that's would see that as a part of an evolving sort of story with our relationship with it, that there might be potential for there to be some reconciliation or some re um, renewal of the relationship over time. Yeah. And we have to, we have to just trust. Uh, this may sound simplistic, but I, I feel like we have to also trust God with that process, mm-hmm. you know, as, um, people that have experienced spiritual abuse and um, need to set aside things that have been very harmful to them. And do I wish for them to re-engage? You know, I may wish for them to re-engage, but that is something ultimately that I have to trust. You know, that there there's a... Um, there's a relationship that's been damaged and it's not a relationship with, you know, if people need to set aside the Bible for a time, you know, God isn't setting aside (laughs) a relationship with a person. And there's a, there's a story that's evolving. Mm -hmm. I often feel that I need to trust that there's a story that's evolving and, Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need to control that. Yeah, that's actually one of the, that's one of the, the beauties of the Bible 
is that it takes place over such a large swath of of time in history. And sometimes when we're engaged with, with faith struggle with ourselves or with other people, we are so impatient yeah. about how quickly a process should take place. And then we have all this all this evidence from the Bible where, you know, we want things to to happen in forty minutes and it took them forty years of process to get to a certain place or maybe 400 years or um, there's there's this huge span of time that this reimagination takes place over and and we believe that well we can we should be able to figure it out quickly yeah one of the examples that Pete gave that um, I thought was really good is that the um, Israelites believed um they believed in Yahweh but they they lived in a time where there were many gods gods for all kinds of things gods for rain gods for sun gods for harvest gods for fertility all that kind of stuff right and they had the perspective at that time that Yahweh was one of them was like the best one but still one of them. Mm-hmm. And so um, now when we would look at that, we would go, oh, that's, you know, that's terrible because we believe in a monotheistic God. God, there's one God. And, um, but that was their, that was their world. That was their worldview. And, mm-hmm. um, what made them different in their society was that they believed that only Yahweh was um, to be worshipped. Was to be worshipped, yeah. yeah. And so that's just it. yeah, that's a good example of how like I so that we often miss these nuances in the text, and we bring our own preconceived notions about. Well, the people of Israel were monotheists. Like the the Judeo Christian tradition is a monotheistic tradition, and this is something that I only learned because of Pete Enz's work. He said, "No, they're not monotheists. They were mon- monolatrists, like mm-hmm. monolatry, which means they believe that their God was the best God <laughs> in in a in a kind of a a pantheon of gods that were they were surrounded with." And it's interesting that again in the Bible. Um, I'm I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul, who was in the tradition, the Jewish tradition. He was a Pharisee, and he's talking to the people in Corinth about food sacrificed to idols. And his perspective is, is that, well, you know, from my perspective, those idols are just stone and wood. Like, like they aren't anything. Like, there's only one God. If you're offering idols uh, sorry offering food in a sacrifice to some statue like that's just he's saying that's just silly and so why should i be concerned about that food and not eat it like it's it's like uh you might as well be sacrificing that you know that food to to a wall or to a to a rock it just means nothing and so he's 
he's in a tradition that imagines God to be the only thing that matters. It's the, it's the ground of all things that matter. And so we don't need to be so concerned about those stone things. But at the same time, Paul would say like, well, you know, other things can become idols in your life. Like, um, you know, we can think of all kinds of things like greed or, um, pride or whatever. These can be things that become so important to us. They become godlike. But Enza is saying that well, when the people of Israel are talking about worshiping God, they're not talking about those metaphorical things. They're talking about, well, you know, there's the sun God and the rain God and the, all these gods and Yahweh is the only God that we're going to worship. None of those gods. Just such an interesting, mm-hmm. different perspective that we miss because we have preconceived notions about what we believe. And if we are to reimagine in our time um, as a wisdom exercise, I, I, it's clear to me how for, for some people that's, that's just scary. I think that's scary. Um, because we're going to get it wrong. And everyone's gotten it wrong in every time. Hmm. Um, And yet we've also gotten it right in some areas, I I think. Hmm. (laughs) We've experienced, we've had um, true expressions of... God revealed to us. We have understandings, you know, we, we kind of like, I mean, the chapter is called, what is God like? And it's not like it answers the question. (laughs) What is God like here? This is what God is like. Yeah. No, it's like, he's just talking about the question itself. What is God like? Mm -hmm. Is our, is a wisdom question and we need to reimagine it as humans living in the 21st century in Altona, Manitoba, Canada, as people all around the world are imagining it. And we need, uh, we trust God's spirit to be revealing that to us because we have been given the image of God and we have the spirit to empower us. And, but wow, wow. We need an awful lot of humility to enter into that process. But it's kind of like, it's easier if we just have the answers. The rule book, you know, that there's something very appealing of if it was just clear, it would be easier. Yeah, I think that what we're, all, we're often looking for is we just want to end the conversation. Like we want to we be done with it and sort of like move on with being done. Mm-hmm. And... um what we're being invited into here. And I think it's, it's, it's what we're being invited to in faith is that we are always being asked to reimagine what, who God is and what God is like and how that impacts how we live because we are always facing new challenges and new questions. And right now as a world, we face some very significant challenges and we Mm -hmm. need to engage in the question of what is God like and how does that impact how we live today? And um, 
we cannot stop that wrestle. If we stop the wrestle, then we're just going to get stuck and not have the capability to to live to live lives that are actually, you know, um, I mean, in in our in our Christian faith, the 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 goal is to become like Jesus, like that's to be godlike, to live a divine life, and um, the Bible gives us a picture into people trying to also live that divine life. They're trying to live a life that is faithful to the God they worship, and um, in some ways, it it feels a bit kind of uh, what's the word? It feels comforting to see people struggling the way we see people struggling in the Bible. And hopefully we're not too easily separating ourselves from that struggle and saying like, well, we don't have those struggles anymore. We see things clearly um, when that's not really the case. We need to continue to wrestle for wisdom in our time. And the inconsistencies of our history, like the biblical inconsistencies are just, they're just like, well, yeah, of course there's inconsistencies. Like there's inconsistencies in every time, you know, when Thomas Jefferson um, talked about America and the, the, the land of the free and the liberty and the equality of men, he wasn't, he wasn't including black people. Or and women. That, or women. But he, he didn't see that inconsistency. It's now as we look back and say, wow, how could you say that? When you lived this, you owned slaves. Mm-hmm. And, and yet this is the, this is what you preached, essentially. Yeah. He said something that was actually true, and yet in his limited understanding of what that meant to be true, it did not encompass the truth of that statement. And it's quite I would, something. It is like, to us now, it's like crazy. It's yeah. crazy to me. Yeah. But in a hundred years, what are people going to say about what we, our inconsistencies? Yeah. That will be mind-blowing to them that we couldn't see it. Yeah. And so it reminds me that we are continuing to evolve in our understandings of the world, of science, of bodies, of who God is and who we are as humans. And this is, this is what every age um, is engaging. Yes, this is the challenge that we're facing. I think we're going to leave it there today. Next episode, we'll be getting into chapter seven, which is imagining and reimagining God. And uh, I believe Pete wants to look at a particular Old Testament story where this central point comes out. Thanks Thanks. for joining us in the conversation. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Bye-bye.